have great joy and consolation in thy love, because the bowels of the saints are refreshed by thee, brother. Wherefore, though I might be bold, much bold in Christ to enjoin thee, to enjoin thee that which is convenient. Yet for love's sake I rather beseech thee, being such and one as Paul the age, and now also a prisoner of Jesus Christ. I beseech thee for my son Onesimus, whom I have begotten in my bonds, which in time past was to thee unprofitable, but now profitable to thee and to me, whom I have sent again, Thou therefore receive him, that is, mine own bowels, whom I would have retained with me, that in thy stead he might have ministered unto me in the bonds of the gospel. But without thy mind would I, would I do nothing, that thy benefit should not be, as it were, of necessity, but willingly. For perhaps he therefore departed for a season, that thou shouldest receive him forever. Not now as a servant, but above a servant, a brother beloved, especially to me. But how much more unto thee, both in the flesh and in the Lord. If thou count me therefore a partner, receive him as myself. If he hath wronged thee or owed thee aught, put that on mine account. I, Paul, have written it with mine own hand, I will repay it. Albeit... I do not say to thee how thou owest unto me even thine own self besides. Yea, brother, let me have joy of thee in the Lord. Refresh my vows in the Lord. Having confidence in thy obedience, I wrote unto thee, knowing that thou wilt also do more than I say. But withal, prepare me also a lodging, for I trust that through your prayers I shall be given unto you. There saluted thee, Epaparus, my fellow prisoner in Christ Jesus, Marcus, Aristarchus, Demas, Lucas, my fellow laborers, the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit. Amen. Before we begin to look at this letter, I want you to have this in your mind. Onesimus, the runaway slave, is at the door of Philemon his master, handing him this very letter. This very letter from Paul. I tried to imagine how both of them are feeling at this very moment. The one who has sinned is standing in front of the one he has sinned against. Onesimus has the right to be in fear. And Philemon, he has the right to be angry. Onesimus has not only grievously offended his master, but he has also broken the law. Onesimus, um, Onesimus, by returning to Philemon, leaves himself entirely at the mercy of his master, whom he has so grievously wronged. At this very time in history, Roman law was most cruel. It practically imposed no limits to the power of the master over his slave. The difference between life and death rests solely in Philemon's hands. Slaves of lesser offenses were being crucified constantly at this time. Onesimus, being a thief and a runaway, 
has absolutely no claim for forgiveness. Do you see the picture? Listen to 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verses 9 through 11. Wherefore we labor that whether present or absent, we may be accepted of him. For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, that everyone may receive the things done in his body according to that which he hath done, whether it be good or bad. Knowing therefore the terror of the Lord, we persuade men, but we are made manifest unto God, and I trust also made manifest in your consciences. I pray that's what we're doing this morning. Persuading men, for all men must stand before our great God and Savior. That being said, let's read verses 1 and 2 again. Paul, a prisoner of Jesus Christ and Timothy, our brother, unto Philemon, our dearly beloved and fellow laborer, and to our beloved Aphia, and Archippus, our fellow soldier, and to the church in thine house. Paul, as he is writing this letter, is under house arrest in Rome, and Timothy is with him. Now Paul joins Timothy with himself to give a double weight to this letter. In John chapter 8, verse 17, our Lord said, It is written in your law that the testament of two men is true. Timothy was probably well known to Philemon and respected by him. Paul put Timothy's name down that there might be two to plead with him. As we just read, Paul addresses himself as the prisoner of Jesus Christ. As most of us well know, Paul suffered many things for the gospel of Christ, one of which was imprisonment. Paul takes off, if you will, his coat of authority and dignity as an apostle. He speaks simply from his heart with courtesy and humility to his brother in Christ. But we also see he addresses Aphia and Archippus in the church in Philemon's house. Most believe that Aphia is Philemon's wife and that Archippus was a fellow minister of the church, even possibly may have been Philemon's own son. Evidently, Philemon had a large household, including family and servants and visitors who worshiped the Lord on a regular basis in his house. So why does Paul mention all these people? Because Onesimus was not only well known to all these people, but what he had done had affected them all. Sin doesn't just hurt you, it hurts all that are around you. Sin is selfish. It's all about self. It does not think of others. Onesimus' sin was probably surprising to them and aggravating to them as well. It was hurtful. Coming from one who should have known better. Onesimus should have known better. I can see them thinking to themselves, I just can't believe it. 
how could Onesimus do such a thing? Listen to Romans 8, verses 22 and 23. For we know that the whole creation groaneth and travaileth in pain together unto now. And not only they, but ourselves also, which have the first fruits of the Spirit. Even we ourselves groan within ourselves, waiting for the adoption to wit, the redemption of our body. Why does the whole creation groaneth and travaileth in pain? Why is the world in such a mess, in trouble all around? Why do you and why do I groan within ourselves? Why do our bodies hurt? Why do we get old? Why do we die? All because of one man's sin. Nature, travailing pain, and all our troubles commenced with Adam's fall. Adam's sin just didn't hurt Adam. It hurt everybody and everything around him. It's been roughly 6,000 years, and we still feel an effect of it. Let's read verses 3 and 4. Grace to you and peace from God, our Father, and the Lord Jesus Christ. I thank my God, making mention of thee always in my prayers. Did you see how Paul comforts them? Paul prays for God-given grace and peace to them. He tells them that he always prays for them and is thankful to God for them. No matter how much grace and peace God gives to a man, we're always in need of some more. We need each other's prayers. I pray you prayed for me this morning. Think with me of what a privilege it is to have someone pray for you. But God is, but Paul is also reminding Philemon of the grace that God has showed him. That God has been merciful to him in forgiving his sins by infinite compassion and that being a child of God, he should imitate his God. Our Lord tells us, Inasmuch as ye have done it unto one of the least of these my brethren, to one of his children, ye have done it unto me. Now verses 5 through 9. Hearing of thy love and faith, which thou hast toward the Lord Jesus and towards all saints, that the that the communication of thy faith may become effectual by the acknowledging of every good thing which is in you in Christ Jesus. For we have great joy and consolation in thy love, because the bowels of the saints are refreshed by thee, brother. Wherefore, though I might be much bound in Christ to enjoin thee that which is convenient, Yet for love's sake, I rather beseech thee, being such a one as Paul the aged, and now also a prisoner of Jesus Christ. Here we see in these verses, Paul starting to plead with Philemon on the behalf of Onesimus. And what's Paul's plea? 
simply love. Love is spoken of three times in these five short verses. Hearing of thy love and faith. For we have great joy and consolation in thy love. Yet for love's sake I rather beseech thee. Paul knows that Philemon's faith and love are God-given. Because Philemon loves Christ and his church. And how does Paul know this? God's children, the saints, have told Paul about Philemon's work towards them, how he has refreshed them. As we studied not long ago in James, faith without works is dead. If a tree has life, it'll bear fruit. Love floweth from faith. We love God because he first loved us. We are not elected, we are not saved by our so-called foreseen obedience, as religion and the false prophets tell us. Our love is from God-given faith. If you would, turn with me to Luke chapter 17. Luke chapter 17, I want to read verses 1 through 5. Luke chapter 17, starting in verse 1. Then said he unto his disciples, this is our Lord speaking, It is impossible, but that offenses will come, but woe unto him through whom they come. It were better for him that a millstone were hanged about his neck, and he cast into the sea, than that he should offend one of these little ones. Take heed to yourselves. If thy brother trespass against thee, rebuke him. And if he repent, forgive him. And if he trespass against thee seven times in a day, and seven times in a day turn again to thee, saying, I repent, thou shalt forgive him. Now watch verse 5. And the apostle said unto the Lord, Increase our faith. Notice the apostles didn't ask for increased love, but increased faith. Our love for God is caused by and stirred up in us by his love to us. And we apprehend, we come to this, this understanding by our faith. Our love for our brethren, for each other, springeth likewise from our God-given faith. 1 John 3 Verse 14 says, We know that we have passed from death unto life because we love the brethren. He that loveth not his brother abideth in death. No faith, no love. So let's read verses 8 and 9 again. Therefore, though I might be much bound in Christ to enjoin thee that which is convenient, Yet for love's sake I rather beseech thee, being such a one as Paul the age, and now also a prisoner of Jesus Christ. Paul, I want you to see, Paul is stripping himself of his own right as an aged apostle, and thereby compels Philemon to take to himself his right. 
Listen to John 6, verse 38. This is our Lord speaking. For I came down from heaven not to do mine own will, but the will of him that sent me. Who better than Paul to plead the case of Onesimus with Philemon? Is there somebody better? No. Only a fool, one who has said in his heart there is no God, would want somebody else besides Christ to plead their case before the living God. Listen to Isaiah 63, verses 7 through 9. I will mention the loving kindness of the Lord and the praises of the Lord according to all that the Lord hath bestowed upon us and the great goodness toward the house of Israel which he hath bestowed upon them according to his mercies and according to his multitude of loving kindnesses. For he said, Surely they are my people, children that will not lie. So he was their Savior. In all their afflictions, he was afflicted. And the angel of his presence saved them. In his love and in his pity, he redeemed them. And he bare them and carried them all the days of old. Christ loves his bride, the church, and pities them and has mercy for them in redeeming them. Oh, the loving kindness of our Lord, and to despise it. <coughs> Onesimus would be a foolish man to trust or even ask someone else besides Paul to intercede on his behalf. Why is that? Because Paul intimately knows Philemon and Onesimus. He has detailed knowledge and love for both. Listen to our Lord. At that time, Jesus answered and said, I thank thee, O Father, Lord of heaven and earth, because thou hast hid these things from the wise and the prudent and hast revealed them unto babes. Even so, Father, for so it seemeth good in thy sight. All things are delivered unto me of my Father, and no man knoweth the Son but the Father, neither knoweth any man the Father, save the Son, and he to whomsoever the Son will reveal him. Our Lord not only knows the Father, but he loves him. And our Lord not only knows his church, you and me, but he loves us. Who better to intercede on our behalf? I don't know about you, but I wouldn't want to even go to a local courthouse without knowing my lawyer, let alone the internal courts of the living God. Now verse 10. I beseech thee for my son Onesimus, whom I have begotten in my bonds. Here we see a man that has been much wronged begs for forgiveness for a wrongdoer. Paul refers to his chains being bound, being a prisoner, five times in this short letter. In 2 Corinthians chapter 11, Paul tells us a little more of his sufferings. Allow me to read you 23 through 28, verses 23 through 28. Speaking of Paul. Are they ministers of Christ? I speak as a fool. 
I am more. And labors more abundant, and stripes above measure, and prison more frequent, and deaths oft. Of the Jews, five times received I forty stripes, save one. Thrice I was beaten with rods, once I was stoned. Thrice I suffered shipwreck, a night and a day I have been in the deep, in journeyings often in perils of waters, in perils of robbers, in perils of my own countrymen, in perils by the heathen, in perils in the city, in perils in the wilderness, in perils in the sea, in perils among false brethren, in weariness and painfulness and watchings often, and hunger and thirst and fastings often in the cold and nakedness, besides those things that are without, that which cometh upon me daily, the care of all the churches. And on top of all those sufferings, Paul was given a thorn in the flesh, a messenger Satan to buffet him. And lastly, martyred. This man suffered for the souls of the elect and for Christ and his church. Our Lord left his heavenly throne and was made a little lower than the angels. He was made a man, made in the likeness of sinful flesh. What a step down. He was despised and rejected of men, even his own family and countrymen. He was acquainted with sorrows and grief. As soon as he was born, they wanted to kill him. He was tempted of the devil and men. He had nowhere to lay his head. He suffered hunger, thirst, and fatigue. He wasn't appreciated or believed. He was forsaken and left alone by the Father and by men. And at the appointed hour, beat, whipped the shreds, mocked, spit on, interrogated, lied on, and then brutally murdered on a torturous cross. All for you and me. All for the church's sake. All for his children's sake. In John chapter 17, we find our Lord praying to the Father. I pray for them. I pray not for the world. But for them which thou hast given me, for they are thine. And all mine are thine, and thine are mine. And I am glorified in them. Christ our Lord says, I pray for them. I pray for all those Onesimuses thou hast given me. Imagine, if you will, out of all the Colossians and out of all the Romans, this man Onesimus is the one who God Almighty sets his love on. Onesimus was the object of sovereign election. He was loved of our God from eternity. God saith to Moses, I will have mercy on whom I will have mercy, and I will have compassion on whom I will have compassion. So then it is not of him that willeth, nor of him that runneth, but of God 
that showeth mercy. Let you and I never forget where we were and who we were and what we were when God in his sovereignty and in his grace found us. Listen to Colossians, or I'm sorry, 1 Corinthians chapter 1, 26 through 29. 1 Corinthians chapter 1, starting in verse 26. For ye see your calling, brethren, how that not many wise men after the flesh, not many mighty, not many noble are called. But God hath chosen the foolish things of the world to confound the wise, and God hath chosen the weak things of the world to confound the things which are mighty, and base things of the world, and things which are despised. God hath God chosen, yea, and things which are not to bring to naught things that are, that no flesh should glory in his presence. As we just read, you and I have no claim upon the grace of God. God, contrary to fallen man's understanding, is, is in no way obliged to show you or me mercy. God can save you if he will, or he can damn you if he will. We truly are at the mercy of the living God, we're in his hands as a clay is in the potter's hands. Our great God is sovereign, and he does as he pleases. Our Lord says to us, Nay, but, O man, who art thou that repliest against God? Back to our text, verse 11. Which in times past was to thee unprofitable, but now profitable to thee and to me? I'd like for us to spend a few minutes looking at Onesimus. This one who Paul is beseeching for. This one who Paul is putting out a heartfelt plea for. Who is this once unprofitable servant? Onesimus was a slave of Philemon. A Gentile slave. He's the, he's the property of Philemon. Philemon has bought and paid for this man. And under Roman law, Onesimus has no rights. All Onesimus' rights are in the hands of Philemon, his master. We don't know. But Onesimus was probably born into slavery or bought, or bought at a very young age. Scripture's silent on it. And unless Philemon gave him some sort of education, Onesimus is probably unable to read and write. He's ignorant. Onesimus only knows one thing. Slavery. He knows nothing else. As you and I were slaves to our lust and to sin. Jeremiah chapter 2, verses 12 through 14. 
Be astonished, O you heavens, at this, and be horribly afraid. Be ye very desolate, saith the Lord, for my people have committed two evils. They have forsaken me, the fountain of living waters, and hewed them out cisterns, broken cisterns, that can hold no water. Is Israel a servant? Is he a home-born slave? Why is he spoiled? We become a spoil to the enemy. Fallen into the hands of the oppressors, ensnared, enslaved. In short, we've sold our birthright. Here's the thing, though. He's owned by a believer, a kind and generous man, loving and merciful, one who is patient and long-suffering, a trusting man. Philemon probably gives Onesimus great freedoms in his own house. And with all of his possessions, It's one thing to have a thief break into your house or property and steal something. But it is a far, it's another thing to have someone inside your own household. Someone you trusted to rob you. It's much more hurtful and insulting. I don't know how many of you have experienced the displeasure of being robbed or stolen from. But me being in business, I've had I've been stolen from multiple times. Mostly from bad employees and from a few neighbors. <laughs> you give them a little bit of trust and they steal from you. It's just the nature of the beast. But here's the thing, it's just something you never quite forget. And if you know the person that did it. You never forget them either. It just sticks with you. Onesimus reminds me much of Adam. Turn with me, if you would, to Genesis chapter 2. Genesis chapter 2. Three short verses. There are two, three. Verses starting in 15. Genesis chapter 2. Verse 15, And the Lord took the man and put him in the garden of Eden to dress it and to keep it. And the Lord God commanded man, saying, Of every tree of the garden thou mayest freely eat, but of the tree of knowledge of good and evil thou shalt not eat of it. For in the day that thou eatest thereof, thou shalt surely die. Adam, all this belongs to me. You and Eve belong to me the garden belongs to me and everything in the garden belongs to me but i give you free access to all of it treat it as if it belongs to you dress it and keep it with one exception that tree right there that tree right there the tree of the knowledge of good and evil that one right there That tree's off limits. 
because I'm God, your master, and I make the rules. That tree right there. Don't eat of it. I try to picture these things in my head, in my mind, and this is just speculation. And I can see Philemon walking with Onesimus in the same way. As Philemon begins, begins to trust Onesimus more and more, he may have given him more and more freedoms and responsibilities. Onesimus, here's the key to my house. Onesimus, here's the key to the barn and to the back gate. Nobody's allowed in there but you, Onesimus. It may be something like this. And here's the key to the safe. There's no need for you to get into the safe. Everything you need, you have access to. I just want you to know where the key to the safe is just in case of an emergency. Someone from the church might need help, and I may be away on business. So here's the key to the safe. Philemon was a gracious man. I doubt any of his servants lacked anything they needed. This man loved Christ, the church, and the apostle Paul. As our Lord was gracious to Adam, Philemon is gracious to Onesimus. And as Adam willfully and deliberately rebelled against the express command of God and took that which didn't belong to him, we see Onesimus willfully and deliberately rebels against Philemon and takes what does not belong to him. Onesimus, whose name means profitable, now has become unprofitable. And he runs hundreds of miles away to Rome. He's trying to hide himself from his master amongst the trees of the garden. Onesimus goes and tries to hide himself amongst the countless street people in the slums of Rome. He prefers that over Philemon's house. He madly is running the sinful downward course of his own free will. I can see him buying or even stealing a different garment or a coat to make himself blend into the crowd. He thinks to himself, nobody can find me now. He thinks... He's hid from his master, Philemon. He thinks himself free from Philemon's house rules. How sick of those rules. He thinks himself free from that church and his master's house and the preaching of the gospel. Ugh, I had to stand there and listen to that. Now I don't. And he may have been but he wasn't hid from God. The majesty on high has his eye on him. Listen to Isaiah chapter 62, verses 11 and 12. 
Behold, the Lord hath proclaimed unto the end of the world. Say you to the daughter of Zion, Behold, thy salvation cometh. Behold, his reward is with him, and his work before him. And they shall call them the holy people, the redeemed of the Lord. And thou shalt be called, sought out, a city not forsaken. We're sought out. Imagine, if you will, if God would have left this poor soul Onesimus to himself. Onesimus would have ran madly straight into hell. Listen to Ephesians chapter 2, verses 1 through 5. And you hath he quickened who were dead in trespasses and sins, wherein in times past ye walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that now worketh in the children of disobedience. You're no different. Among whom also we all had our conversation in times past, the lusts of our flesh, fulfilling desires of the flesh and of the mind, and were by nature the children of wrath, even as others, but God, but God. He was rich in mercy for his great love, wherewith he loved us. When we were dead in sins, hath quickened us together with Christ. By grace are you saved. May our God never let us forget who and what we were before God saved us from the course of this world. The prince of the power of the air and ourselves were no different than Onesimus. The grace of God, the act of God saving, is always effectual in its working. And it's always irresistible to the one that's receiving it. Grace cannot be overturned in its purpose. It's of God. No one nor nothing can hinder it. It's sovereign grace. God can show you mercy or he can leave you to yourself. We have no claim upon the grace of God. He does as he pleases. But as we are about to see, God is hedging up Onesimus' way with thorns, as he did Gomer's and Hosea. Therefore, behold, I will hedge up thy way with thorns and make a wall, and she shall not find her path. God preserves Onesimus, provides for Onesimus, and protects Onesimus all the days of his life, even in his rebellion. God's purpose of grace cannot and will not be overturned. Oh, the wonders of our Lord and his grace. Imagine, if you will, all the chaos of Rome. Imagine. Probably not much different than a modern 
city that we're used to and all the traffic and all the chaos going on, people going to and fro. And Imagine the multitude of the people. Onesimus doesn't even know where he's going. He's just running. And our great God brings these two souls together. Whether Onesimus got into trouble and was arrested, or like the prodigal son, Onesimus may have wasted all that he had stolen and found himself in a state of want, desperate for help, in a deep state of need, or maybe even, maybe even he got robbed himself. In a way only known to God, Onesimus hears of Paul. Street talk, maybe, word of mouth. He had, and I'm sure, probably heard about Paul through the church at Philemon's house. Heard that Paul was a gracious man, willing to help, kind and plenteous in mercy. Our God moves in a mysterious way, does he not? Think with me, here is a runaway slave with a price on his head. And he is so desperate, he is willing to seek out Paul at prison with Roman soldiers all around. One who despises the church and the gospel now seeks out a preacher of the gospel. This man would fain have filled his belly with the husk that the swine did eat, and no man gave unto him. Onesimus is in need. And this is exactly where our Lord wants him. Onesimus' situation reminds me of the four lepers in Samaria when there was a great famine given of God. Turn with me. 2 Kings chapter 7. 2 Kings chapter 7, read verses 3 through 8. 2 Kings chapter 7, starting in verse 3. And there were four leprous men at the entering of the gate, and they said one to another, Why sit we here until we die? If we say we will enter into the city, then the famine is in the city, and we shall die there. And if we sit still here, we die also. Now therefore come and let us fall into the host of the Syrians. If they save us alive, we shall live. And if they kill us, we shall die. And they rose up in the twilight and go into the camp of the Syrians. And when they were come to the uttermost part of the camp of Syria, behold, there was no man there. The armies fled. For the Lord had made the hosts of the Syrians to hear a noise of chariots and noises of horses, even the noises of great hosts. And they said one to another, Lo, the king of Israel hath hired against us the king of the Hittites and the kings of the Egyptians to come upon us. Therefore they arose and fled in the twilight and left their tents and their horses and their asses, even the camp as it was, and fled for their lives. And when these lepers came to the uttermost parts of the camp, they went into one tent, just one, and did eat and drink and carried thence silver and gold and raiment and went and hid it and came again and entered in again and entered into another tent and carried it thence also and went and hid it. 
As with Onesimus, these lepers are so desperate for life, they are willing to go for help to the, uh, the most unlikely of places, to the most unlikely of people. Sin like leprosy shuts us out beyond the gate. It makes us outcasts. We're not allowed in. We're unclean. There's no hope in the city. They're starving as well. There's no hope in what the world has to offer. It's empty. Onesimus, no one in Rome cares for you. You're just a nobody. And as with these poor lepers, so with Onesimus, they find there's nothing in themselves that can bring help either. Self is as empty as the world. Now we'll go where we wouldn't have gone before. We're being made willing to go to the Lord. We have to be emptied before we can be filled. Our Lord first kills, then he makes alive. These leprous men go to the host of the Syrians, the enemy. Thinking if they save us alive, we shall live, and if they kill us, we shall die. What are they doing? What are they doing? They are surrendering to the will of another. That's their only hope. Listen to Job chapter 13, verses 15 and 16. Though he slay me, yet will I trust in him. But I will maintain mine own ways before him. He also shall be my salvation. For an hypocrite shall not come unto him. These lepers are rewarded with more than they can eat or drink. And the bounty is so rich they have to make multiple trips to carry it out. It's not only more than they expected, but it's more than they deserved. Does not the grace of our Lord infinitely surpass all our expectations? Is it not more than we deserve? Great is his mercies towards us. David knew this. Psalms 103, starting in verse 8. Just a few verses and we'll finish for the first message. This is what David said. The Lord is merciful and gracious, slow to anger and plenteous in mercy. He will not always chide, neither will he keep his anger forever. He hath not dealt with us after our sins, nor rewarded us according to our iniquities. For as the heaven is high above the earth, so great is his mercy towards them that fear him. As far as the east is from the west, so far hath he removed our transgressions from us. Like as a father pitieth his children, so the Lord pitieth them that fear him. For he knoweth our frame, and he remembereth that we are just dust. So let's stop here, and we'll pick back up in verse 11 for the second message, and we'll see if Onesimus meets.